Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I uh, left this Bible, which was a Bible presented to my family when my grandfather died. Um, I, I left this Bible turned to one of the pictures in the Bible. Because this is the illustration of the scripture we just read today. And it is the first picture found leading into the New Testament. Isn't it quaint? And you know what? When we read this scripture, for most of us, especially those of us who are Euro-American descent, this is what we think of. It's sweet. It's pretty. There's nothing more lovely than Jesus inviting the children to come. And while there are some people who would argue that the Galileans tended to be more fair-skinned because they were, uh, they were in the northern part of Israel, that's just not really realistic. The majority of people who live in and around uh, Israel and still do today uh, look more like Arabs. They, they have uh, darker skin and uh, have different features. This is the, the blonde rendition of this reading. And it is what many of us grew up thinking about when we thought about what this story means. So I'm going to turn the page to the Gospel according to St. Matthew and say to you that I want us to think in new ways about what this story is about. It's a brief story, um, but an important one, because it links some important things that are happening in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, we're on a journey with Jesus. Um, prior to this passage, we heard the story of the transfiguration, the transformation of Jesus on a mountaintop, where there was this mystical encounter with the prophet Elijah and the giver of the law, Moses. And uh, and Jesus hears God say, you are my child. And then tells the disciples present to say, listen to him. Okay? Um, wow, what an affirmation to, to have a mystical moment where you hear God say, you are mine. You belong to me. I have named you. Uh, and, and as Jesus came down from that experience, almost as if uh, it was a confirmation of what had just happened. Jesus encounters a boy with a demon, a child, a little boy with a demon. And Jesus casts out that evil and heals him, almost as a confirmation. And, and a lot of biblical scholars believe that Jesus fall, fell into a whole line of, of the prophets of Israel who were healers, mystical healers. And, and that was just like a confirmation of that that transfigured moment on the mountain. And almost in the same breath of healing that little boy, turns to his disciples and says, um, the human one is going to suffer greatly and is going to be killed. And on the third day will rise. And the disciples were beside themselves with anxiety. How could it be that you could go from that on that mountaintop down 
to this talk of suffering. And then, you know, the disciples are just like us. They start to talk about how, well, I wonder who's going to be named as the, the best of us. Who's going to be named? Who, who do you think will get to sit at the right hand and the left hand of God? I mean, you know, when Jesus takes the kingdom back, who, who will be his champions? Do you think? Who is the greatest among us? That's what they're doing. They're not, this is not some kind of esoteric theological question they're asking. They want to know seriously who's getting the goods? Who's getting the power? Who's going to be the one? Named and claimed. And appreciated for everything, right? And and we're not like that, are we? Right? So Jesus does this shocking thing. It was part of the teaching of the Greek philosophers and the other great teachers of the period to point to um, respected figures, uh, great thinkers, um, you know, in our day, we would point, they, it would be like professors at, you know, you know, institutions like Yale Divinity School or something like that. It would be people and doctors. They would, they would point to them and say, this is how you should be, right? So the disciples want to know who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus picks a child. A child. It is counter to everything in his culture. And it's certainly counter to the Roman Empire. Jesus takes a child. And I'm going to wager this was a very young child. And the reason I'm going to argue for that is because, you know, as kids get older, they develop personalities and they, they develop uh, behaviors and, and things. And as they move on into junior high and become teenagers and they have attitudes and, and we don't get any sense of that in this story. We get that Jesus has chosen a young child who maybe is toddling a little bit and uh, doesn't have all the words yet, can say things like papa or mama or hi, bye, or my favorite is bye, you know, when they do this, bye. Uh, and so that's how I envision this, because Jesus is using this child as a model. And, and in Jesus' time, children were absolutely not uh, economically, uh, they weren't the best economic tool for families until they could work, until they could bring an income in. And so children were not considered, uh, it's not that fam families and parents didn't love them, it's just they weren't considered advantageous until they could provide, right? They could be part of the family's provision. Because so many families in Israel were poor and impoverished and outcasts and under a, uh, a, a defining government that suppressed them, okay? So, so Jesus takes the, the most vulnerable, of the people who were present. And he takes 
Also, um, the scripture uses the word humble, but you know, I want to use the word innocent. You know, that doesn't have the, the big ego yet, hasn't developed much of an ego at all, just is glad to be cared for and to be loved and doesn't even, can't even say the word love, doesn't even know what that means, but does know when someone's caring for them, right? And does know that this is good, right, in some way that they can't even talk about, right? And, and so this child is innocent and, and loving, you know? Children learn very quickly how to love those who are caring for them, you know? So this is the, the picture I want you to think about. And Jesus says this. This child will be the greatest in the kingdom. And unless you can become like this child, unless you can become humble, and unless you can trust God in a way that children trust, they don't, they don't even have words for God, they don't, but, but until you can do that, you don't, you're not getting there. You're not making it. You're not figuring it out. Now, Jesus is teaching, and so is using hyperbolic language, hyperbole, really grandiose language that says you can't get into the kingdom unless you become like a child. Well, you know, Jesus is not just talking about the kingdom in the here and now. He's talking about the kingdom right here. And until you can see these children, until you can be like these children, the kingdom of God will elude you. Right? Yeah. This is what Jesus is asking. And um, it takes a child in his midst to give us this picture. Well, I want to tell you that after, right after this, verse 6 says, If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone was fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. You know, millstones were the big stones where they, they hooked the stones up and they're very big and they would hook them to an animal that would drive the millstone around to grind grain. So we don't get that image very well, but a big, big, big stone tied to you and you're thrown into the sea. Again, Jesus is using hyperbole to get the attention of the people. But think about that. that. That's a very awful kind of picture. The only image that I can in my mind hold is when I saw the movie The Amistad, which is a story about the slaves on the slave ship The Amistad making the way in, put down in the hole, just crammed together and, and die, dying and having babies and throwing up. I mean, it was just awful. And then because the, the ship was overweight, they attached... Um, chains to some of the passengers, those who were enslaved, and threw them overboard. And the way Steven Spielberg portrays that in the movie is just harrowing. And that's what I think of, you know. So where's the good news in this story? You know, this Jesus tells us he's going to suffer and die, and then tells us about how we are to become, and then tells us about if you get in the way of any of my people, 
be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. So, horses. And then, and then, uh, where are the people paying attention to that? So, I mean, I'm going to tell you the bad news. Child trafficking is the bad news. The trafficking of children is a form of human trafficking. Trafficking, And it involves the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, the receipt of kidnapped children for the purpose of adoption and slavery and forced labor exploitation. Though statistics regarding the magnitude of child trafficking are difficult to obtain, the International Labor Organization estimates that 1.2 million children are trafficked each year. Now, is that getting in the way of the children being able to come to God? Sounds like it's me. And then there are children migrants. We know this living in Texas, right? The New York Times reported that as late as November 19, which is just a few months ago, the United States has detained more children trying to cross the nation's southwest border on their own over the last year than during any other period on record. And those children are then being incarcerated in houses, I mean, you know, there at the border. American immigration authorities apprehended 76,000 Twinkie minors, most of them from Central America, traveling to the United States without their parents uh, in 2019. And children's rights continue to be violated at our border. Vulnerable, terrified young boys and girls are held in custody longer than the legal limit. And then there's children's sexual abuse. So the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network tell us that every nine minutes, Child Protective Services substantiates or finds evidence for a claim of child sexual abuse in the United States. It's bad news, really bad news. So we're then in Jesus' time and where then in our time. You know, uh, child poverty as well. The U.S. Census estimates that 13.4% of Americans, about 42 million, live below the poverty line. And for children under five, the poverty rate is 20.2%, with the total in poverty being 3.9 million. That's globally. And I just want to add that if you check the percentages among African Americans, Latinx Americans, Native Americans, and the children of those, those communities, the rate is much higher. I guess there's a lot of millstones out there, right? So I ask the question again, what are we to do? Where's the good news? Can there be any good news in any of this today? This gospel is more than just having a warm feeling toward children. That's all good, and it's good to have warm feelings toward children, but this is about more than that. Jesus um, was not talking about those in need needing protect, protection or care, though Jesus would want us to be a part of being bringing about protection and care for the children who were in dire circumstances in our country. Jesus was talking about greatness. 
And so Jesus doesn't start the conversation. The disciples do. And as I told you, they were all about who's going to be great. So they come to Jesus with this question about the kingdom of God that he's been teaching them about, specifically about who will be the greatest. And before we get all sentimental and warm and sparky inside, we should remember about the dire circumstances of first century children. So this child represents, as I said, vulnerability and the need and utter dependence of all children in that day and in our day today. So in, in Jesus' day, he says essentially that no military power or physical might or athletic prowess or great beauty or immense wealth or societal standing or fame or any of the other things that they or we think are likely to equate with greatness is what he's talking about. But he's talking about being vulnerable and being willing to ask when you're in need and being dependent on each other. This isn't new. Matthew started with this in his, in his gospel, but then he states most plainly, greatness constitutes those who recognize their need for God and for each other, period. That's greatness. So where does this leave us today? Jesus' instruction to become like children and the sobering reality that not all children are loved and cared for as they should be. This is what I think Jesus wants us to know. That God sees us, sees all of us as children, as God's children. And that if we're going to be part of the kingdom, then in humble ways, we're going to seek to be God's children and to see others among us who are God's children and see the risen Christ in them. That's how that's going to work. In our study on Dear White Christians that we did, <clears throat> we talked about uh, Dear White Christians and, and, the, and Those Who Hope Still for Reconciliation is the title of the book by Jennifer Harvey. We talked about a lot of things, but we talked about this journey of uh, moving toward making a difference is that starts with awareness, moves to asking forgive, for rec recognition of your part in things and asking forgiveness, uh, repenting, which means going the other way, and then reparations. And so We've talked about all that and how hard it is, you know, uh, especially when you get to reparations and not just uh, how am I responsible for things that happened years ago because we're part of the system, you know, but also what could I possibly do to make a difference? Um, racism is embedded in our culture, and so how, how am I ever going to make a difference? And, and what we learned was do something. Do one thing. Do one thing. Write one letter, sign one petition, march in Washington, do whatever you are capable of doing. My um, mentor pastor when I was doing my internship, uh, Reverend Bill Bryan, uh, taught me. He said, you know, um, some of us are called to change the world. And some of us are called to change countries. 
And some of us are called to change communities. And some of us are called to change classrooms. And some of us are called to change in the environment where we work. And some of us are called to take care of one child. One child. And so what we have to discern is what we are called to do and how we can do it. And then to do that with humility and vulnerability and great and gracious love, right? What did uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta say? You, you do not have to do great things, only small things with great love, okay? So that is what we're called to, and that's what I think this text calls us to. And so I want to tell you that I was this week um, in a waiting room filled with kids. I mean, some of whom were bouncing off the walls, you know, uh, filled with kids of all different ages and all different ethnicities and backgrounds and and it was just very interesting. And so I was there, and I was doing some work on my computer. And this little toddling child, who I think may have been um, Iranian, maybe, or somewhere in the Middle East, you know, from a family out of that culture, uh, comes up and says, hi. <laughs> little bitty, you know, can't really talk much. And I said, well, hi. He must have done that about five times the whole time I was sitting there. Just kept coming back because I was smiling at him and I was noticing him and, and I had my legs crossed and he patted my foot, you know, and and it was it was very, very important. And his mother would smile and say, come, you know, I didn't care, you know. It was beautiful, it was tender, it was joy-filling. And that little child showed me what God sees when God sees us. That's what God sees when God sees us. And that is what God wants for us. To see Jesus in plain sight in all the children. To see a child is to see Jesus in plain sight. And it will change how you look at the world. It will change how you live. It will change who you are from the inside out to begin to discover the presence of the living, risen Christ in the children you encounter, whether they are your own or some stranger, whether they are young or older. But this is what God chooses for us, and this is how God sees you and me as God's own children and delights in us even with all our stuff and all our ego and all our ways of being. God delights in us. This is the promise, and this is the good news of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen.